Welcome to Toby Haddock's Who's Round. Uh, this is part two of my interview with the late, great Linda Bellingham. So what are the jobs that are, you know, to all, all outside forces aside then and politics and things turning out the way that they should have done? Just in, purely in terms of the jobs then, what jobs and what parts have you sort of A, enjoyed the most and B, sort of felt you nailed then? Well, I, I did enjoy Doctor Who. And the interesting thing is, again, if you, if you were given jobs as that, you could go into any, you know, I'd like to go into this series, I'd like, I mean... Corrie, you know, I'd, I, if I was going to be associated with a soap, I would, it would be Corrie. Um, Doctor Who, because because it because it was peculiarly British and has survived through a massive ch- sea change in the world, technology, you know, everything about it. The fact it survived is amazing, really, and the core. That core character of Doctor Who and how they cast it is, is always going to be an ongoing fascination, isn't it, as to which way it goes. I, Faith in the Future, which was the spin-off from Second Thoughts, where I, Julia Sawala and I, was, was a very dear to my heart because um, it, I think it really did nail comedy. It was really quite subtle and quite clever and quirky, and Sylvie Bowden, who directed it, um, made it special. And watching it, I watched it the other day, actually, on um, ITV3, and I think it holds up really well by today's standards. And they did it; they put it through that thing, so it looks a bit like film, Mm -hmm. and all that. So that, so that, and the nice thing about it is you'll get a check for about eleven p. Exactly, it's terribly, terribly (laughs) exciting. And that's the other thing you think: oh my god! Um, And all creatures, great and small, because again. To, 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 to get to land a role in in something that was already established as a, a national treasure of a series it was particularly unique and all those actors were so fabulous to work with was a was a great moment in my life in terms of television um, and then interestingly enough um, it'll never be seen here now God I just can't believe it. but I I landed this role in um, the Romanovs this Russian film and it was it was it was like every actor's dream story. I was doing a tiny, low-budget film down in um, in uh, Somerset in the West Country, The Scarlet Tunic, based on um, um, a Thomas Hardy novel. And um, so I was all in the cosies doing the Thomas Hardy bit, and I got a, a, an interview uh, for this Russian film about the Romanovs, about Alex- Nicholas and Alexandra, and they were, they, they'd been persuaded to go with a British actress um, because of the Queen Victoria connection, but everybody else was Russian, and it was being directed by the then kind of... Well, he's the Zeffirelli of Russia, and his wife was head of the National Theatre. Very, very good, um, you know, well-known in Russia, very, very posh, very straight, very serious. Also. So I travelled up on a Sunday from bloody West Country, which took forever, and did this interview in a hotel room for this Russian who he brought the lighting cameraman with him. It was a great bear. Nobody was speaking in English and they had a translator. But I'd nailed it because I did, just did this little speech from the film I happened to be in and I knew it would be emotional. So I just stood at the window in this hotel room and cried, basically. And this 
Russian And I'm going, what's he saying? What's he saying? And she said, well, she, you are very, he's very impressed. No English actress normally has soul like you are showing here. So I said, oh, thank you very much. And um, the, the first opening scene of the film has Alexandra sitting up in bed having had a nightmare because she was a bit of a hysteric. Um, naked, you see. So... Anyway, the, the director was very intense, and there's the cameraman then. And on video, he said to me, And I said, what's he saying? And she said, how do you feel about being naked, you know, in the opening scene? And I said, well, not great. I mean, does anybody really want to see these tired old <laughs> And she went, oh, you want me to say this in Russian? I said, yeah, yeah, go on, say it. So she went, and the lighting cameraman, who's really scary, went, I said, no, what's he saying? You please me and you please the director. That's all you need to know. Said, oh, my God. <laughs> anyway, I got the job and I went to Russia and I spent three months in Russia filming this $12 million film. I used to learn my cues in Russian, um, which I learned phonetically, and so I could, so there'd never be those awful gaps. I'd spend hours at night. I was on my own. I had nobody. But I absolutely got it. It was bizarre. I just got this film. I just got her. She was a Gemini like me. She was the same age as me. And um, there was a scene where she had to cry. And in the books, when I read all the books, um, the tutor that, that, that tutored the children, when her husband abdicated, she cried so much, her face used to swell and become unrecognisable. Uh, and that's exactly what happens to me when I cry. I can't cry beautifully. And the director had gone through this whole, how are we going to do this with makeup and everything? I said, no, 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 you, you leave me on my own for a couple of hours, I'll have a good cry, and then you can film me. But you won't be able to film me the next day because I'll still be swollen. And that's what we did. And I have to say, I'm very proud of it, because I do, I look like a monster. <laughs> and as, as was recorded in the book, he, the, when he came to deliver a message, he, he saw this woman, he didn't know who she was, he didn't recognise her, because she was just blown up with... With, with tears. I can't tell you what it was like to be where nobody knew about OXO, nobody knew anything about me. I couldn't put my foot in it by telling funny stories or messing about or going out with the lads. I just became this queen to the crew. And when I left, they queued up to shake my hand and kept giving me bottles of vodka, which was very nice. Um, and it's, it's an extraordinary film. And, it, and because he had the money, and because he was very much of that era in the 60s, he'd shoot for hours on an apple, you know. Um, but I've got a DVD of it. it. It just needs cutting, and it needs... If only they'd, you know, cut it and dub it. It's the most beautiful film, and it might make me a film star. <laughs> and they offered it to Meryl Streep originally. Um, and there was a wonderful bit in Screen International when they were trying to sell it. She didn't. She didn't. She she was frightened of, of going to Moscow because she'd heard it was very violent, which in, in fact it is quite violent. St Petersburg. You you would you had to go out to dinner kind of with people, but it's. A, but we were very lucky to get Linda Bellingham. Linda who? <laughs> <laughs> so that was my lost moment, if you like. That. But I lo I loved it so much. I just loved filming. I loved it. I loved having. There's that, which is why I think probably, you know, film actors get led astray a bit. Because it's like being in an airport lounge. You're in another world. You, you just, that's all, you, somebody brings you your food, somebody puts you to bed at night, you know, puts you in your hotel. And I just loved it.
Well, it's interesting that you, you've, you've something you've touched upon um, is something that I think is very current now, and that's the sort of sexual politics of the 1970s, especially as a performer. I've talked to my mum about it, and she said, well, you know, men treated us differently. It was, it was a different time. But, but you were sort of conscious beings in that situation. I certainly want to think of things like, you know, Benny Hill and confessions yeah. and that sort of thing. So how, how did it... F- did you feel you were having to compromise, or, or is it only now you take a step back from it? Do you look at it and go, crikey, I can't believe what we put up with? You yes. Know? No, it's bizarre. And it's not really that long ago. 30 years in the great scheme of things is nothing, is it? But you absolutely... Uh, when I came out of drama school, I have to say, I, it didn't occur. I, I, it didn't occur to me, but it, I very quickly realised, very quickly, that it was a man's world, and you either drank with them, slept with them, or didn't speak to them at all, and got bullied. And basically, if you were tough enough to take the bullying, well, I didn't. I decided I didn't want to sleep with everybody, so I drank with them. And you'd buy a round of drinks, and that. And, and in my head, because of the 60s and because we'd been told we were equal, and certainly as an actor, I always felt that I was equal to my male counterparts. I didn't feel that because we basically earned the same money, although we didn't, of course, I found out later. But I thought we did. I thought we were doing the same job. But it was only, as I say, and it didn't happen um, when I was doing General Hospital that year... I, didn't, I wasn't aware of it. It was only when I got into comedy and the light entertainment that you were aware that women were still absolutely second-class citizens. But you dealt with it. And I, I feel, as, as all these things, it's gone the other way. If somebody comes up now, came up now and pinched my bottom, I'd be very grateful and very happy. Um, as indeed, I would have thought nothing of going up and pinching a cameraman's bottom. I certainly don't need a commission to... T- I, you, you dealt with it, and you you made it clear. If they took it absolutely the wrong way and went any further beyond that that banter, it was down to me to say, no, go away. Sorry, that's not... This is not how it works. But but I, I have to say, when you do look at... You do look at Benny here. The thing is, it wasn't very sexy, was it? That The interesting thing is, now... You look at Benny Hill and you talk about that in confessions and people flash their boobs all over the place. But there wasn't full frontal nudity, really. Look at Game of Thrones. Blimey. You, you watch, you're happily watching it and suddenly, for no reason whatsoever, they'll cut to a scene in a brothel where young girls are completely naked and they linger on them. Quite lasciviously, I think. For no, There's no reason for them to be there other than let's have a bit of nakedness. What do they? What do these girls feel about this? And and you know, you look at big series. There was a moment in a fantastic series, True Detective. I've been watching mm. this amazing girl. I mean, she had the most incredible body, but she had this big sex scene with Woody Harrelson. It didn't really need it, but it's made her career. So what the hell do you do as an actress? A, if you have got a beautiful body, are you going to use it? And, and hope that you get taken seriously. But B, if you haven't got a beautiful body, what chance do you stand? Mm. You know? So where's who's at fault here, really? You know, if, if we're talking about using people, using they're still being used and abused. And, and every crime drama, you know, again, every act of violence is always against women. It's all, and it's always... They're prostitutes, so they kind of deserve it. And so I, I don't think... And and in the you know oh it's his historical drama so it's all right to have slave girls behaving appallingly so we haven't actually moved on at all have we no it's very it's very interesting. <laughs>
Um, well, look. Uh, <laughs> On that we, note, <laughs> we have to. Well, you mentioned you mentioned uh, writing it down. We, we we should we should mention that you've put pen to paper and are still doing so. So, and, it, and that's another line as an as a, as an actor is is when you write an autobiography, you are putting yourself out there. Uh, and it's great fun, and uh, they, I would have loved to have been a, a fly on the wall on a night out with you and Nicholas Grace, because it sounds like you have <laughs> yeah. fantastic times. Nicholas Grace, a font of all knowledge. <laughs> all but again, you see, I wanted... that That's very... That some of the pictures in there show you what it was like in the 70s, when we were... And interestingly enough, you know, his career, he, he went to the proper theatres and played smaller parts. When he was at Nottingham, I was at Crewe playing big parts, but then I was only at Crewe. And then he went to the Royal Shakespeare, and I did Confessions of a Driving Instructor. So we went on, but we came, we came back. And, and, in fact, we did Richard II together, which was fantastic at the Young Vic. And, um, I, again, I, I just wished I'd had a bit more of that to counterbalance the... But the writing, again, I wanted to write an autobiography um, not about um, famous people I've known, really, uh, and all that, but because I'd found my mother, my birth mother, and because it was an interesting story in itself, mm. and I worked a lot with Bernardo's because I was adopted, but I hadn't come out, as it were, until my parents died, because they didn't, they were very private people, and they loved me, and God knows I loved them, and they didn't, so I used it, obviously, but what was brilliant off the back of that, because I wrote it myself, and that's another thing, you know, that Trades Descriptions Act, I do wish... I think it's great that people can have ghostwriters, but then why don't they own up to them being ghostwritten? Why do they pretend they've written them? Mm. But anyway, I got a two-book deal, and the first one, Tell Me Tomorrow, came out last September and got to number 12, top 100. And um, this one is, um, well, I called it The Royal Box. They say it's rude. <laughs> I saw you laugh. But I don't know any connotation. I bandstand. And, uh, anyway, they said, look, everybody will just think Linda Bellingham, Royal Box, it's rude. I just thought they thought Linda Bellingham, actor, because it's about a troupe of actors. So I think it's going to be called The Boy I Love, because I'm, I'm, I'm using uh, bits from Victorian musical songs for headings to each chapter. And The Boy I Love is up in the gallery. Um, it's a lovely Victorian song. Um, so we'll probably get, it's probably now going to be called The Boy I Love. And um, it, it's given me, certainly because I've been ill um, and haven't been able to work, it's, I, I can't conceive of not getting up and not having something to do. So it's been fantastic to get up and write. And please God, I get another commission to write more. Um, because because otherwise it's like there's all this energy, it's got nowhere to go, you know. So and I'm sure you have the same thing. You just You just want... It, to, to be out there and and actually i now of course ironically i was never free to do any doctor who conventions every time i've been asked um i wasn't able to go um and so now i probably am free but um haven't been well enough but but who knows in the future so because i would love to do one just to see what they're like because apparently they are so amazing they're good fun yeah yeah good fun. everybody says that what good fun they are and but with the writing i guess if you were mid-novel and somebody phoned up and said, oh, yeah, period drama on the BBC, you'd put your pen down? Oh, in a flash. Well, of course, I'd be a bit... be a bit. Well, I'd have to carry on doing it, though. I mean, I'd have to find... But, yes, in a flash. And that's another thing, you know, um, that whole period thing. I did Martin Chuzzlewit, um, which I absolutely loved playing a landlady, and thought, oh, I'll get lots of these, because everybody said, oh, my God, your face... And then it all disappeared again, so... There's an element, I think, when people say, <clears throat> you know, you've been very lucky in your career. I, can, I think I can honestly say with my hand on my heart, I'm one of the least lucky actors, if you know what I mean, that nothing, nothing ever seemed to progress 
the way it should have done it did for other people. But I'm not bitter and twisted at all. But has that uncertainty and frustration, though, because you also don't strike me as somebody that waits for the phone to ring, so that's driven you on to, exactly. to do the many different things that you've you done? You get out there and you bloody well find it, don't you? And I sort of say to my son, it's no good sitting at home. You have to go out there endlessly for the rest of your life, if needs be, and find that next opportunity. And that energy and that keeps you going. That's the, but that's the thing you can't go around saying to people, well, I know, I know, I know in the end it'll all be all right, because it's very annoying and irritating to have this sort of blind belief in yourself <laughs> when actually you, 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 on another level you don't. But that, that's what keeps me going. I always think there's going to be something around the corner. And it's like I'll, my, my son, people will say to me, will you do a little short film for me? Will you do this? Yes, I'll do anything where I'm using what I know I'm good at. That keeps me going. Which even extends to talking to a stranger for yeah. <laughs> very, very, very for which pleasant. I'm very grateful. No. So I have just two final questions. The first is um, because you've given your time, because nobody involved in this gets paid, and the listeners haven't paid to listen to it. We do ask them to donate to a charity. So if you'd like to tell us what your charity oh, is, well, that's very nice. Um, I would like people to to donate to Action for Cancer because um, as I, I, you know, it's widely been reported, I uh, was diagnosed with cancer, and I don't talk about what cancer it is. Uh, what I have learned, um, and also even with Alzheimer's, when I've worked with Alzheimer's, research, research it's unbelievable. And, and if you could, you know, if everybody gave a pound every now and again, we, in 10 years' time, they'd probably have it cracked, you know, with research. So, action for cancer. Uh, well, and the final question is that this is this nominal, nominally about Doctor Who, but I, I'm pleased to say about so much more. Um, but in 50 years, Doctor Who's been on our screens, on and off for 50 years. So what's your message to the Doctor Who fans, Lindsay, in, in this illustrious period of celebration? Oh, enjoy and grasp it and nurture it and and make sure it gets passed on in the right spirit. It never loses its, its spirit. There's, there's a, a commitment, certainly, for, and the fans, I think, have created this, to rise above television and all its branding. And, it, you know, it, there is a heart and soul to um, Doctor Who, which, which they could never have manipulated or manufactured. You must pass that on and continue to pass that on, that spirit. Bravo to that, I say. And I also say, Linda Belling, thank you very much. Thank you, Toby. Bless you. Well, I hope that was okay for you. Yeah, that was fantastic. Anybody talking about me? <laughs> I'm waiting for my husband to be rude now. Oh, well, my thanks to Linda and to her husband, Michael, with whom my, and I'm sure all of your thoughts, are at the moment at this difficult time. Michael gave me a lift back to where I wanted to go after the interview was done and it was clear how proud he was of his wife, and rightly so. I'm slightly confused about Linda's charity. I can't find an action for cancer. There's an action cancer, www.actioncancer.org, but that's based in Northern Ireland, so I couldn't see the connection. So forgive me, I will just say, look, cancer touches all of us in some way, doesn't it? So if you can, and there's never any obligation, it's merely a suggestion, uh, donate to a cancer charity that maybe has some meaning for you. Uh, you don't have to donate to a charity, of course, but uh, if you can, that would be nice, because uh, it would be nice if some good came out of the great evil that is me doorstepping Doctor Who alumni <laughs> at their homes and pumping them for anecdotes. Uh, which I'll be doing in the next edition of Toby Haydock's Who's Round. Follow me on Twitter, uh, which is Toby Haydock, all one word. Um, and uh, Big Finish are also on Twitter, and they, of course, host and give patronage 
to this podcast and I particularly like to thank at the moment Ian Atkins who um, has filled the shoes, the very big shoes to fill of the late Paul Sprague and Ian has worked very very hard to up the release rate and as you'll have noticed they've been coming out every couple of days and that's down to Ian so from me to him but in front of all of you thanks very much and thanks again to Linda Bellingham to whom this edition of Who's Round is dedicated. Because I went to see John Nathan Turner, but I had no idea it was to be the doctor. Really? And then there was another guy, a friend of mine, uh, who I'd done a play with called David Fielder, who also went to see him at the same time. Yeah, a screen test of him exists. And I'm, I'm amazed to hear this. I mean, I remember going to see John Nathan Turner, but I didn't, I had no idea it was to, to, to do Doctor Who. Extra special thanks this week go to Paul Venezes, who encouraged me to get back in touch with Linda and who had facilitated our initial introduction. Many thanks, Paul. Tilting axis suggests a spaceship or a space station in orbit around a larger. No, no, no! This is an outrage. Greetings, Doctor. Madam Inquisitor, I protest. Frequently, yes. But he's me, a future version of me. Are you telling me that the Time Lords revisited their own time stream? and rewrote the law? Recorders, delete that last section of transcript. Doctor, compose yourself. He's either a future version of me or he's something else. Doctor, we meet again. <laughs>